0: is baseball tonight the podcast this is the baseball tonight podcast for friday october 21st 2022 and today will be better than yesterday i'm buster only uh taylor schwink is working from the mobile Swink studios which someplace taylor where are you i'm in crofton maryland at my brother's house today my
1: brother alex and uh his fiance Stephanie getting married today in Annapolis. They've been engaged for about 11 years. I think actually, but uh, we joke around here. So yeah, it's a very exciting day and I'm uh, recording the podcast from his house and uh, then we'll be off to uh, wedding stuff and uh, probably lots of drinks, Buster. Who knows?
0: Well, we got to move through this, right? I mean, I didn't realize that was today. I thought it was over the weekend. So we'll we'll get a move on here. Uh, But uh, we found out before the start of the podcast today that Sarah Abbott is working from the Sarah Abbott studios is officially crazy. Somehow, uh, you know, the, the, the release of Taylor Swift's album has been connected with baseball in some way. Sarah, please explain.
2: I would be happy to. First of all, she was on Thursday night football. So she's officially sports news. So, um, yes, I am able to talk about it. And then my roommate and I, after listening to the album one time, Decided, let's assign songs to like certain baseball players and baseball teams. So we did. And I have a lovely little list here that I would be happy to go through later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and the, are you sleepless? Uh, given oh, that oh project, yeah. are you completely sleepless as we take this podcast?
2: Yeah. Well, she had a special surprise too at 3 a.m. that she was going to announce. So obviously, I had to say it for that. But then I fell asleep. So I'm I'm on my four hours, maybe? Yeah. Oh, my God. All
0: right. (laughs) The Phillies and Padres will pick up the National League Championship Series later today. They'll be tied. They are tied. One all. Bob Melvin, Padres manager, talked about the hostile environments in Philadelphia. Give it a listen.
3: No, I think it's just, you know, today getting used to the field out there. Guys have played here once before this season. So... Um, really no secrets as far as how the, the field plays, maybe a little bit cooler. But, um, yeah, I think anytime time you, you run through a couple different series in the postseason, you go through some games that, you know, win or lose, you go home, that in hostile environments, you gain a little, you know, perspective and, and certainly confidence from that.
0: Padres pitcher Joe Musgrove will take the mound tonight, and he was asked if he enjoys pitching on the road in big games.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been beaten down by the crowds at times early on in my postseason career. Um, you know, the crowds really got to me. And I think ultimately it's just I got a way better understanding of myself and, and how things work and, you know, the certain triggers that I have and, and what it is that really gets to me and being able to, you know, have some awareness of what those things are before I go into a moment like this uh, is very helpful. But I don't know, I almost like pitching on the road a little more than I do pitching at home. Um, Something about kind of having your back up against a wall and having everyone, you know, weighing down on you. Something about that allows me to tap into a different level. So, um, yeah, as, as fun as it is pitching at Petco, I enjoy the rodents on the road just as much.
0: Here's Philly's manager Rob Thompson, who was asked if there's an advantage to having game three through five in Philly.
4: I mean, we came, we went into San Diego and split, you know, we were looking, especially in game two, we were looking to to sweep, but, um, you know, they did a nice job coming back, but I think for the most part, we did our job in San Diego, and now, you know, we feel pretty good being home here for the next three games and in front of our own fans, and and it's going to be a lot of fun. John on the left. Rob, with regards to the managing style
5: with five games in a row versus what you might have done in the first two games, how much does it change now in terms of maybe handling your bullpen and your lineup and, and getting some of your bench in over a five game stretch potentially?
4: Um, position players, not so much. I think they're you know all these guys have gone at least five in a row, and even JT has gone five in a row over the course of the year. Um, as far as the bullpen, I think you have to manage that a little bit. You know, like I said, you don't want to overwork guys and production goes down and you don't want to put them in harm's way as far as injury. Um, So I think you do have to be cognizant of that.
0: Taylor, I want you to chime in here as we've gone along during this postseason and I hear Rob, who I've known forever uh, when I covered the Yankees and and thereafter, does he not have a little Bill Belichickian in his answers where it feels like that not only the monotone uh, in his voice, but also in the fact that he, he says a lot and doesn't really
1: say that much. Yes, both. I get a real kick out of him. I, you know, I'm not Yeah, me too. He it's really funny, especially, you know, we don't play a lot of him during the regular season. But since we've been playing um, these press conferences of him in the post in the postseason, he's just he's so interesting. He's so steady. And I think, you know, maybe that's part of the Philly success now that their manager. He's he's unwavering uh, in his emotions. And I think right now that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, that answer about you know playing uh, you know consecutive games, uh, five games in five days. His answer was, if I'm have this, if I remember this correctly, was, yeah, you got to manage that a little bit. You, with relievers, you try not to overwork them. Okay, <laughs> Captain Obvious, <laughs> love it. Uh, yeah, uh, and it's it's there's a unique skill there, that's for sure. As they say, I mean, you know, for me, it reminds me of Bill Belichick. Okay. Astros-Yankees. Game two last night in Houston and there was some eyebrows raised there were some eyebrows raised when Aaron Boone Yankees manager put a rookie in at shortstop. Well guess what? Bottom of the first inning, made a play.
5: Severino rocks into the windup and the 1-0 on the way and a swing and a ground ball to the left side. A nice pick there by Peraza, the shortstop and he makes a terrific play to throw out Jose Altuve making his first start in a playoff game, he's a rookie only a few weeks in the big leagues, and boy, was that a slick play.
0: That was Dan Schulman on ESPN Radio. The challenge for this, the Yankees in this series, generating offense, and it was really difficult against Framber Valdez.
5: He looks like the calmest guy in the world out there tonight. Here's the 0-2 pitch, and he got him. A swing and a miss with a curveball down and in.
0: And the Yankees go down in order. Alex Bregman came to the plate with two runners on base in the bottom of the third inning. And the pitch on Severino, a swing and a high drive to deep left field, and it is gone.
5: Into the Crawford boxes, a three-run homer for Alex Bregman. And the Astros have a 3 to nothing
3: lead
0: here in the third. Now the Yankees did muster a rally in the top of the fourth inning, and they cut the lead.
5: 3-1, the Astros lead here in the fourth inning. And the 0-2, he does hit a ground ball in the hole. It's short. Pena with a long throw, not in time. It'll be an infield hit to deep short for Torres. And into score on the play is Stanton as the Yankees get back within a run.
0: The Yankees hitters kept striking out, and when they put the ball in play, the Astros defenders made plays.
5: Now, shading Torres a little bit up the middle. Guriel way off the line at first. As this one is hit sharply off the glove, a Bregman bounces to Pena and the throws on the money to get him. A fortunate bounce and a great play. 5 6 3 with a red
0: star on it. In the top of the seventh inning, Fromber Valdez finished in style. Here comes the 0-2 pitch, and a swing and a miss. Got him with a curveball
5: at the knees. Beautiful stuff here from Valdez, two down. The step back, he fires, and the 1-2, swing and a miss. Yet another curveball, yet another strikeout. And what an outstanding job from Valdez has done through seven.
0: Yeah, he induced 25 swings and misses, the most by any pitcher in a game this postseason, and tied for the third most swings and misses by a pitcher in a postseason game in the pitch tracking era. That would be since 2008. There was a moment when you wonder if the Yankees were going to tie the score. But remember, the roof was open in Houston last night. It's almost never open. And what you hear from players is when the roof is open, the ball doesn't travel as far. When it's closed, it travels further. Keep that in mind when you listen to this play.
5: And the pitch to Judge, a swing and a fly ball, well hit right field. Tucker back. Tucker at the wall, jumps, and he makes the catch. Bader will tag, and in the second, just ahead of the throw. But Kyle Tucker with a great play in right field, bringing back what might have been a home run for Aaron Judge.
0: Yeah, and the Yankees, other players felt like that if the roof had been closed last night, that would have been a home run. In the ninth inning, Astros closer Ryan Presley blew through the Yankees. Again, the 2-2 and a swing and a miss. He got him. One down.
5: It just ties you up because it's a slider that starts right in on you and you think, okay, most of the sliders have horizontal break, a lot of it. Ryan Presley's slider, because it gets on top of it, has more of a vertical break. And the 1-2 pitch, swung on and missed. He got him. Two down. Castro the lead, inching out bit by bit. He's running, and the pitch taken in the dirt. The appeal down to third, and he swung. Carpenter strikes out as they appeal down to Chris Guccione a third, who says he went around,
0: and that's your ball game. The Yankees have now gone nine straight games, dating back to the regular season, with no more than six hits in any of them. Their longest streak. In a single season in franchise history they've struck out 12 plus times in three consecutive postseason games it's tied for the longest streak in mlb history after the game marley rivera spoke with alex bregman
1: alex first of all congratulations how big was this win for you guys taking two from the yankees particularly given the postseason history
6: between these two teams
4: well i think we did a good, really good job um tonight we we competed um, Played hard. Our pitching staff threw the ball exceptionally well. I was really proud of how Framber responded. Uh, there was a little bit of adversity there in that inning, and he responded great. Our bullpen came in. Brian Abreu got some big, got a big out there, and then Presley to finish it off. But um, I think it was a good team win, um, and, and a lot of credit goes to Jordan, too for hustling down the line on that ground ball and beating it out. And uh, we knew it was going to be a tough game. They got a really good team, but um, we just wanted to compete.
6: Can you walk me through that home run? It was it the open air? Did that help it out a little bit?
4: I think so. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, it was just trying to. Was just trying to put a good swing on a on a, on a good pitch to hit. And uh, he's one of the best pitchers in the game. And uh, I was just fortunate enough to sneak it out.
1: Alex, how was it playing with the roof open? And do you think that maybe it held back that judge ball? Like it helped you out? And what what happened? What do you think?
4: I'm not. I'm not sure. It's like it's kind of swirling up there. So uh, some of the balls today. Like maybe his and maybe uh, maybe Pena's, um, Pena's line drive to right center. He hit really well. Um, but I mean, I don't know.
1: Now you have the most home runs by a third baseman in the postseason, surpassing none other. You know, we know what Justin Turner has done with the Dodgers. How much pride do you take the, in the way that you show up the postseason?
4: Uh, I just I love competing. This is this is what you dream about doing as a little kid, playing in the postseason. Uh, I got amazing teammates, a great coaching staff. These fans are awesome tonight. And honestly, I just just trying to have fun playing the game of baseball um, that we've loved forever since we were kids.
6: So now just keep it in New York. That's it. It's over. Okay. No, no, no.
4: They, no, no, no. They got a really good, they got a really good ball
0: club. They do. All right. Going into game three, which will be played on Saturday, there's going to be a lot of talk about the Yankees' offensive approach, about their lineup. I have an idea about that. Well, Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager, was asked what needs to change with the team's offensive approach
4: when we did need the ball in play today, you know, within a run scoring situation we we're able to do that. So take a little bit from that. Um we got to score. I mean, you know, swing and miss or you know, the idea
0: ain't just to touch it, you know, you got to touch it in situations. We got to score. And
4: they're about as tough as there is to score against, but we got to we got to figure out a way and you know, it takes takes all of us um, from from a game plan standpoint to to every
0: guy in that lineup just just uh, you know doing their part to make it a little more difficult on them. The Astros have won five straight games in a single postseason for the first time in franchise history. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we have an exciting weekend
1: of playoff baseball, but it is also a football Friday over here at ESPN podcast. Lots of different shows you can chew on to get your football fix. We got the college game day podcast. Uh, the Friday pick show is up now. Kyle Brandt's basement. Uh, wow. So many the Mina Kime show, the Donnie Foxworth show, fantasy focus football ball, the Bill Barnwell show, uh, the Adam Schefter podcast. You can find all of those Football-related shows produced by ESPN and Omaha Productions wherever you're listening to this podcast right now.
0: Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you get to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal Chewable Tablets. Next Guard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, It treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting Preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV that means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call one 800 directv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter-producer for MLB.com. Uh Sarah, how are you doing this morning?
7: I'm doing great, Foster. How are you?
0: I'm I'm kinda I'm I'm in a quandary today because I'm getting ready for Sports Center. And, you know, they're one, of course, want to talk about the Astros and Yankees series and what's going on with the Yankees offense. Nine straight games of six hits or less. And so I really feel like there's this chicken or the egg conversation going on with the Yankees. Uh, and, and the Astros pitching here, how much of this is Houston and how much of this is Yankees' futility, especially some of these injuries have manifested?
7: What's your take on that? I mean, obviously, there are elements of both. But I do think if we're, you know, putting the pendulum closer to one or the other, then it has to be Astros' dominance. We saw this over the Yankees, over so many teams. During the regular season, this pitching staff was so underrated. I mean, Framber Valdez, we saw last night, he's not even the big name. You know, you think of Justin or we think of Framber Valdez, but overall nationwide, people may not be thinking of just how dominant he can be. And I think if you dig in, they've had a very specific attack plan they're getting so many swings and misses from these Yankee hitters. They've struck out 30 times in two games. They had 17 two nights ago, 13 last night. So I looked this up. The Astros' whiff rate that they've induced against the Yankees, swings and misses, is 41% in this series so far. Wow. Jacob DeGrom was 99th percentile. And whiff rate this year at 42%. So they're basically all of Jacob DeGrom right now.
0: That's crazy. That is a crazy number. Can you send that to me? I'm gonna steal it using on SportsCenter, okay?
7: Absolutely. See,
0: I I agree. I do, I do think uh, you know, I'm gonna propose to Carl Rabbits coming up here in a moment, uh, that uh, in game three, if you see Aaron Boone struggling for solutions. I think he should hit Anthony Rizzo leadoff, which is something that he did for the Cubs a few times. You know, you get the guy gets a good plate appearance, uh, puts stress the opposing pitcher right away. I know, you know, typically you like speed in the leadoff spot. He doesn't have that, but that's the way I'd go. Well, does that sound reasonable?
7: I like it. I mean, I like the Harrison Bader leadoff. Uh, you know, experiment last night. He had done that for the Cardinals, he hadn't done it yet for the Yankees. He's obviously barely played for the Yankees entering this postseason. But I like the idea of trying to, you know, work with who that table setter is for Aaron Judge. We know Anthony Rizzo gets on base, he gets hit by pitches, does all that. And he's also a guy who, when you put him in the leadoff spot, there's an intangible with that too. I remember it when it happened in Chicago. Everyone really went crazy over that. That was sort of the beginning of these atypical guys hitting leadoff just across the game. And maybe that helped shake them up as well. I mean, they are just not. They're getting so few chances from the Astros. And they need to capitalize on basically one pitch per guy per night a lot of pressure to be able to do that.
6: All
0: right, let's play the numbers game. Number three.
7: Number three is seven. So, it's incredible because we're talking about the Astros' dominance and it feels like they might sweep this series, but the run differential so far in the postseason for them, so not just this series, but also against the Mariners, is plus seven. They've won five games by a combined seven runs. That is Mm -hmm. the lowest run differential in a five-game span in a single postseason where the team won all of the games. So they've won five straight all by two or one run, which is tied with the 1999 Braves for the most consecutive wins by that slim margin in a single postseason. And we still think they're incredible because they are. And maybe that's more impressive than winning by 10 in a way. But it's just crazy to think about the fact that these have all been close games. And yet we have so much confidence in this team.
1: Number two.
7: Number two is 25. So we talked about Pram Brevaldez a little bit at the top. He induced 25 swings and misses from Yankees' bats last night, including 16 on his curveball. So 25 is tied for the third most swings and misses in a postseason game in the pitch-tracking era, which goes back to 2008. The only guys to get more were Garrett Cole in 2019. He got 33 in the ALDS and Tim Linscombe in NLDS Game 1 in 2010, he induced 31. It's interesting because there have been two other instances of 25, and they were both Justin Berlander in the ALCS against the Yankees, once in 19 and once in 17.
1: Number 1.
7: Number 1 is 67. So we have the NLCS tonight. We have a 1-1 series. So, of course, that game three winner is really paramount. So, the game three winner in a best of seven series tied 1 1 has gone on to win that series 67 of 97 times. That's 69% of the time. So, you're talking about more than two thirds. That's how important this is. And, you know, I'm so excited to see how Philadelphia is rocking tonight.
0: Yeah, especially after you rank you no know, third. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Uh So to me, like this series will come down to this game. In part, my big question going to the game: Can Ranger Suarez keep up with Joe Musgrove? Does that make sense based on what we've seen this postseason? When it feels like that Suarez has had some emotions overcome his command of his fastball,
7: it does make sense. You know, you know one thing Joe Musgrove said. In his presser yesterday was about how he almost enjoys pitching on the road more. And I think we know, having seen him, especially over the last two years, as he has really emerged with the Padres, he is the guy who feeds off the crowd. And he was kind of talking about how negative energy, people rooting against him, seems to drive him more. So it feels like you have that side of the emotion. And Ranger Suarez, who, you know, this is such an atypical spot for him. Somewhere he hasn't been in his career, of course. So it'll be interesting to see. But they'll all be cheering for Ranger Suarez. So hopefully he's able to use that to his advantage. But Joe Musgrove confirming what I think we all see from him, sort of feeding off that negative energy was cool to hear.
0: So Kelly Carey is Senior Production Manager at ESPN. You know her well. Here's Kelly talking about you.
6: I met Sarah when she was the researcher on Baseball Tonight. She was a tiny little thing that somehow held so much information. She may be quiet, but when she talks, people listen. Whenever she has a question for me, she always starts it with the words, no rush or zero rush, even if it's urgent. She's always the most thankful person. After every event we work together, she sends me the nicest, most gracious notes, thanking me profusely and reminding me that she thinks I'm great at my job. It's always the light at the end of the tunnel after a stressful event. She's also the most apologetic person that I know. She apologizes for everything and anything and then apologizes for apologizing. It's endearing and has become a joke with our whole crew. At Home Run Derby this year, I made her a sorry jar with a note on it that said, every time Sarah apologizes, she has to pay $1. Everyone got a kick out of it, especially Sarah. She loves baseball more than anyone that I've ever met, and she also has more people that love her than anyone I've ever met.
0: All right, so how much money did you dole out in the sorry jar? Because I got to tell you, Sarah, I invoked after hearing Kelly, I'm like, you know what, that's what Sydney does, my daughter. and She's here with me in Montana now. Uh, and I, so I'm wondering, how much money did, uh, did you have to give up?
7: I didn't put any in the jar. But I probably had the word jar yelled at me or said at me nicely a handful of times over those, what were there two days. And I think I've gotten texts from Kelly, maybe Greg Collie since, where I apologized for something and they said jar. So it's certainly a thing. We will certainly remember that. And thank you, Kelly. I mean, Kelly is, as you know, and I want to make sure. Everybody listening knows the entire backbone of the baseball operation at ESPN. Yep. No one would ever be where they need to be, eating what they need to be eating, doing what they need to be doing without Kelly. She, you know, every logistic, every last thing, always on top of it. And she is so incredibly good at her job. And I always want to make sure that she knows that. So thank you, Kelly, for the very sweet words.
0: Uh, Sarah, when and why did you start uh, writing thank you notes to people? Because you've done that since uh, I've known you, no matter what it is, you know, a hit on this podcast. I'll get a thank you note from you right after this podcast (laughs) is over. When and why did you start that habit?
7: It's a really good question. I don't know. I mean. You know, I've always, you know, when you're little, you get a birthday present, you send a thing, you know, that kind of thing. But I think when I started getting a chance to do those shows at ESPN, baseball night, all of that. I just am and was so grateful for the chance to get to do that. And I always wanted to be sure people knew that, if there's anything else they need that I could uh, provide that, make sure they knew that. So You know, I, in my own way, I guess I thought it was just part of, you know, ensuring that the team knew I was there. Maybe I don't really know. Uh, But I always want people to know that I don't take any of this for granted. So I think that's a lot of it. All
0: right. Thank you, Sarah. We will talk to you on Monday. Well, actually, I'm sure I'll talk to you over the weekend, but uh, we'll, we'll talk to you in the podcast on Monday.
7: Thanks so much for having me, Buster.
5: All aboard, it's the Rabbi Train with Carl Ravitch.
0: Carl Rabbitts, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, and Rabbi, you and I are getting to watch the uh, this this round uh, in a very similar way. Uh, we are watching the games on television. The other day, you had a chance on Baseball Tonight uh, to watch the game with Tim Kirchin and Todd Frazier. And I always felt like that to be a unique experience. Can you sort of paint that picture for us?
3: Yeah, I mean, having done that for, God, since 1995, the different personalities, the different perspectives, manager's perspective, pitcher perspective, uh, position player, whether it's a, a power hitter, whether it's a guy that had hit in the you know lower half of the order, middle of the order, we, we've gotten a chance to sit next to over 50 different former athletes, as I said, front office executives, managers. So it's always inter- It's always neat. It's it's great to hear, um, you know, some of the some of the guys that stand out, the way that they watch the game and the things they observe that I, I I'm not sure many of those that didn't get a chance to put the uniform on would ever look at. Uh, but certainly, you know, Valentine, Walter, Francona. Uh, and, you know, again, as much as they have in common as managers, they, they did look at things differently. Um, players, Barry Larkin, certainly looked at things very differently than Dallas Braden looked at things. and looked at things very differently than you know than Roy Smalley did or Fernando Vina. You know, there, there's a, an incredible list of people that we've sat next to. Well, you know, well, the thing I took away, we, we were there watching Darvish pitch against... Uh, the Phillies, and Frazier's observation was, you know, oh my God, he's he's pitching backwards. You know, he's using his off-speed breaking stuff to set up that fastball, and I think there was one inning where he caught three guys looking at fastballs that were right down the middle, and that was his take. Like, see, he's been in that box. Generally, Darvish will throw a breaking pitch, then throw a fastball, and then it's you're dead because then he's going to spin something up there, and... That night, he, he observed right away. He's pitching backwards, which again, I think, if you around baseball enough and you know the, you know the the tendencies of a pitcher, you could make that observation. But somebody that stood in the box against a guy comes up with something just like that right away, and that's you know, Darvish. Darvish just gave up two that night. He was great. He just got out pitched. But yeah, those types of observations. Um, you know, hopefully give you, you know, you and me and other people that sit there a, a working, you know, a working encyclopedia that you can fall back on as a way to encourage other conversations with other analysts that eventually come down the road with you. So it's always neat. It's like being in that Sunday night booth, you know, as you know, listening to Coney and Eddie, it, it's just different. And it's, and look, it's why they're where they are. That's, that's what works.
0: You know, Todd, when he played, he would have been one of those guys in a dugout during the course of a game who would have been trading notes with other players. Hey, look for this. I think this is going, uh, you know, here's sequence. Here's where we think this guy is tipping pitches. Um, And, you know, because that's Todd's personality. I would say in the years that I've covered Sunday Night Baseball and been on the sidelines, there are games when, you know, a pitcher's out there completely dominating where there aren't a lot of conversations, Carl. <laughs> like, there's not a lot of by-play between players. And I really, in watching that game last night on television, I wondered what kind of conversations are going on in the Yankees' dugout these days. Because it feels like that, you know, they they are just des- in desperate need of of home runs. Like, there's just one swing one lightning bolt. Cause the idea that this offense is going to string together, you know, four or five hits and put up four runs right now just seems impossible, especially against this Houston pitching staff.
3: Yeah. I I, get, I what I, I think regarding that series and that question, I, I thought actually you were going to, we were going to talk about the Astros cause there were several shots where the Astros players were all staring at iPads, all of them. And you're like, my gosh. And I, Look, I know Dave Roberts and other managers have tried to limit the exposure to iPads so that there can be conversation on the bench. So I I found it interesting that they were all doing that. By the same token, look, Merlander was great. I think Valdez has been, it's really hard to say, it's the best pitcher on that staff. But I wasn't surprised that they were shut down by Bramber Valdez and his curveball. It's gross. I do think when you go back to Yankee Stadium and you face, I think it's Garcia who's going to go in Game Three. I think that they're capable of getting, you know, eleven hits and and six or seven singles and a couple of doubles and a couple of homers, and and it just it just feels different. I, I look, I, this is not new. Dominant pitching, power pitching wins. Valdez has been unreal all year. They lost the first game, and then you have to deal with that guy. It's going to be difficult if those two were pitching every game, but they're not. So I, I will still believe in that Yankee offense. I think the Yankees team is a little different now. It is fascinating that they're in a position not to exactly know who their leadoff hitter is, who their closer is, and in the short term, who their shortstop is. I get the sense we're answering the shortstop question here, but yet it's it's October you know, 17th or 18th, we're, we're in a league championship series, and these decisions are being made on a day to day basis, which is yeah. uncomfortable. That, 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 that's uncomfortable. However, I think, I think that they have a real legitimate shot at breaking out in game three. And then you're reminded that they have McCullers, I guess, in game four. And that's, you know, that's different. And Cole's fiction game. It feels like it'll be two to one. Um, but yeah. I think the different part of the Yankees must remember when they, a couple years ago, Booney had all those athletic type guys. They weren't the big names, but it was a different style. I, I'm looking at what appears to me to be a transitional phase for the Yankees. As you look, as you look ahead to next year, and I'm not giving this year up at all, but as you look ahead to next year, they are more athletic. You know, Peraza is athletic. Uh, Cabrera, I think is going to be terrific. Bader, is a different type of animal. They will be able to put the ball in play. They will be able to run. Uh, it's like happening before our very eyes in almost the worst time for something like that to be happening. But that's what it feels like. And sure, stringing hits together against Verlander and Valdez is real. It's, it's, it's impossible. Like it's, unless they're off, that's not going to happen. So you've, you've got to win the games when those guys aren't on their game or on the mound.
0: Yeah, you got Garrett Cole going in Game 3, and and you're right. You win Game 3 at home in Yankee Stadium, knowing that you have the next two games at home. Nestor Cortez uh, also fully rested, and suddenly he could be back in 2-all. But uh, you mentioned that the lineup decisions by Aaron Boone, it does feel like, like desperate times, desperate measures. You know, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who the Yankees, Aaron Boone, stood by all year. Uh, you know, feeling like that he was a defensive upgrade and they lived with some of the offensive concerns, the lack of slug there. And now in this series, they're like, you know what, we're, we're throwing that plan overboard. We're just going with anybody who's new and different to try something new and different because it's not working. Last night against Valdez, 25 swings and misses against him. 25. I mean, that's a that is an unbelievable numbers. That's that is a Randy Johnson type number. To have that many swings and misses. And this one blows my mind, Carl, especially in light of the Yankees, a long history of having incredible offenses. And, and even today, you know, you've got uh, Aaron Judge coming off the season in which he flirted with a triple crown, set the American League record for home runs. You have Giancarlo Stanton, nine straight games with six hits or less. That's impossible. Nine straight games with six hits or less. For the Yankees offense, it's never happened in the Yankees history. So, uh, I, 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 quite frankly, don't blame Aaron Boone. Feeling like I got to try something because the, to, to, uh, you know, the definition of insanity to do the same thing day after day, do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result.
3: Yeah, and I think it gets magnified. I don't think there's any secret. I think we all talk about it. Anybody that's been around baseball and knows baseball. When you get into the postseason, you are facing staffs and bullpens that are better. And if you are a swing-and-miss team, it magnifies your level of exposure. You're, you're going to be exposed. Uh, the Indians have an unbelievable – bullpen, well, Guardians, I should say. The Guardians have yes. an unbelievable bullpen. They have great starting pitching. It's going to get magnified in a regular season. There may be games where Francona is less inclined to use his high leverage guys. It Look, it happens. It's why I think you need to be more uh, balanced when it comes to the dependence on the homer. You need contact guys. You need guys that can put the ball on the ground, in the hole. You saw the way the Astros scored some of their runs. They didn't get uh, the first. It wasn't all over the wall. There were some. Balls hit in the holes, which led to runs, et cetera. The Yankees were able to, you know, manufacture a run on a ball in the hole. So you got to put the ball in play. And against these these staffs in the postseason where you have power arms, strikeout guys, you get exposed. It gets magnified. And then I think the Astros also force your hand. You know, the Astros, I think everybody looks at the numbers and say, they have the Yankees right now. Uh, number they they own them they dominate them they beat them and when they have their best starting pitchers on the mound they're likely going to win the game the way the Yankees are currently constructed so is it desperation or is it reality <laughs> I look at it like look Aaron Boone's a he's a baseball man he's done this his whole life he's also a guy who understands sports and you know this you know he follows football he loves basketball. He can look at this from 30,000 feet and say, we, we, as a, we as a team, we as a competitive entity have to change. We're not as good as they are. What can we do to make us better? Regular season, we're winning 100X games. We, we don't have to really worry about it. Holy smokes. we got seven games now to deal against the team. I'm not putting words in Aaron Boone's mouth, but if I look at the Astros and Yankees, the Astros are better. They are just better. They do, Definitely. And that doesn't even mean that Alvarez is better than Judge. It means collectively. They do the things that you need to do more often better than the Yankees do if you're going to win in the postseason. And I think by doing some of the things they're doing with lineup changes, to me they feel more equal to Houston than if they didn't make a change. I, I like the things that they've done And as you know, and and Tim and I talk about all the time, Buck Showalter and other managers will tell you, just because we made a move and it worked doesn't mean it is always the right move. Just because we made a move and it didn't work doesn't mean that over time it was the wrong move.
0: Yep. No, I completely agree with you. I do want you to play, to put you in the role of Aaron Boone in terms of some of these choices, because I, you know, was thinking about this last night, you know, I mean, putting Bader in at leadoff spot for a time, you know, Glaber Torres, you know, moved there, you know, changing out at shortstops. They've had now three, what, three shortstops in their last three games. Um, I thought about this last night, and you're right. You you make a change because you're trying to, to put yourself in a better position. If I were in Booney's shoes, I would hit Anthony Rizzo lead off. We saw that with the Cubs. There's comfort level there. I think he stresses opposing pitchers uh, at the start of games. I would lead off Anthony Rizzo, believing that you know, he's got a chance to, to kickstart the offense. I feel good enough about Giancarlo Stanton that I, I feel like at this point he's good protection for Aaron Judge, so I'd hit Judge 2, I'd hit Stanton 3. And then at that point, you know, you could go Bader, uh, you could hit him clean up, uh, put him in that spot because he's going well enough to, that, uh, you know, maybe he represents some protection for Stanton. Well, how would you, if you were Booney, what would you do at the top of the Yankees lineup?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I thought about their construct. You know, it's weird. I, I, think, I think I'm think i living in the moment as opposed to, you know, the, all of the information they have, you um, I've I've been so impressed with Cabrera, but I think Cabrera because he's so young is still at the position where he can get exposed by really good pitching. Uh, yep. But eventually, I see I see that guy as a, as a top of the order type guy. I love the Rizzo thing because of his experience. Obviously, he, he gets hit by pitches a lot. He he gets on base. The only concern I would have, and I don't know where you would you would slide Cabrera into that mix, is you're very right-handed from two through four. And I don't even know where you go with five if you're going to use, you know, Josh Donaldson. Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know where you go at five. I, again, I just look at, you know, uh, position by position, the lineup depth. Look at what Jeremy Pena has become this year. And then you kind of look at where the Yankees are with the development of their guys. We've heard about Peraza, shortstop of the future. Pena just literally stepped in, and while he wasn't Carlos Correa, good God, he was good. I mean, he, he was his, he was better than you could have imagined, and look where he hits in that Houston lineup. Like, the Yankees don't have that answer as a young player goes, and this is where I just think, you know, the, 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 the scale tips to Houston just in terms of who's the better team. I, sure, I love Rizzo. They get very right-handed after that, but they're a right-handed lineup anyway. Um. So, sure, I, I, that makes sense. The, the weird part about Bader is because of what he's done with his homers, it feels like he's a, he's a home run hitter. And I, I think there's more to Harrison Bader than just being a home run hitter. I hope he doesn't become a, a 32 home run guy uh, that strikes out a lot. I, I knew and I felt when they made the move for Bader, eventually New York is going to love his personality his ability to field, and his ability to just cause problems on the bases and get on base. But sure, I I can absolutely see Rizzo leading off for them.
0: Um, You know, just thinking about it. So the way I'd go the rest of the way, I'd go Bader cleanup. I'd go Cabrera five, Donaldson six. I like the fact that I understand Matt Carpenter has not looked good. You know, I mean, you could just, uh, the fact that he hasn't seen that many breaking balls has manifested. I'd hit him seven, uh, catcher eighth, and I'd hit Peraza ninth. For me, he's playing shortstop for me the rest of this postseason, no, and no matter how it goes based on what I saw yesterday. What do you think?
3: Oh, 100%. Look, I, I mean, I, I thought Cabrera was was an upgrade. Look, I, I'm not I, – I think Connor of Falefa's a terrific fielder at some point. You, you you have to take into consideration the number of of, of mistakes that are being made. As few yeah. as they are, the the margin for error is zero. Like we can't make one. You know that's that's where you live when you're in the postseason against really good teams. So I, I thought Cabrera was I, I like that change. Let alone Peraza, sure. Peraza's a shortstop. Peraza's like watching, uh, you know, a young his ability to feel he's, he's he's got some he's special you know he he has whatever Booney said I like the way he moves it's quite clear he can do things at that position you know that few others can now whether the bat ever ever arrives but you've got to prevent runs as much as you've got to score them and as you said that lineup should be able to score plenty of runs whether we're getting production from the nine spot or not it should. You're just dealing with really good pitching, but I, I agree with you. Peraza and Cabrera, for me, should play. They, they need to be in that lineup. And, look, yeah. if we lose with them, that's it. But I, I'm already – there's a part of me that, that looks ahead to 23 and says, like, yep, Cabrera, got to be there. Peraza has to be there. Vader every day. Who knows what's going to happen in, in right field. But, yeah, those are, those are three young foundational pieces for me moving forward, and I like that direction. Versus this this complete dependence on the home run ball, the high percentage of runs scored via the home run.
0: You and I are on the same page in this regard. You know, this is about and what we've seen so far in this series is so much about how great the Astros are. And and I I I personally would be shocked if this series goes back to Houston because I think the Astros are clearly not only the class of the the American League, but they're right now they're the best team standing, and there's no doubt about that, up and down. Uh, the Padres and the Phillies are tied one-all uh, going into today's game. What are you seeing in that series?
3: You know, I'm, I'm seeing that the Phillies did what they needed to by going on the road and winning one game. Um, I, think, I think John Smoltz's observation about Juan Soto early in game two is akin to the observations that you and I are discussing with regards to the Astros and the Yankees. And I believe the Yankees, you know, will break out in game three when they're home. He said early game two after Soto lost the ball in the sun. I just feel like he's going to get a big hit. I mean, I don't think he's he stated the obvious because Soto hasn't looked great. But it's rooted in the reality that Juan Soto is a damn good player and he has shined on the biggest stage. All of that being said, I, I, I think the Phillies um, – or that's a push series to me. I, I just seen the Phillies and and done their division series on the radio. Uh, you get back in that environment and look, Bryce Harper is offensively Bryce Harper again. I mean, he is, he's an animal. Um, that's, that's one of the, you know, that's a top five player in baseball. That is Juan Soto offensively. So they have that guy. Um, I think Philadelphia's just got something about them this year. I think the the emergence and the consistency of Dominguez and Alvarado makes them really, really just dangerous when they got a lead, and that wasn't the case all year. So I, my observation is this is a toss-up series, and uh, I would give a slight edge to the Phillies. And again, I'm acknowledging it could be recency bias because I just saw them, and I was really impressed. <laughs> You know, when we all go cover spring training camps, you, you leave the majority of spring training camps saying, "Woo, that team is way better than I thought. They are going to be really good. And over the course of 162, you realize, you know, that stuff sticks for, for less, than, less than a quarter of the teams you observe. And I, I'm acknowledging I just saw Rio Muto's athleticism. I just saw the bullpen. I've certainly just witnessed Wheeler and Nola. I've seen the energy in that crowd um i just i would lean a little towards philly i I think the best thing Buster, to come out of this though is a reminder again to everybody and i think we've discussed this just how just how darn great manny machado is as a baseball player
0: oh man and and you know we talked in our broadcast on the on the wild card uh series about how manny is just at a great stage in his career uh and and, you know tonight. You know, a lot of the conversation is going to be around the great Phillies fans and the the uh, you know what the atmosphere is going to be like at Citizens Bank Park. You got you and I have seen this play before. We've seen the Padres going to City Field and be like, "Yep, no problem. We can handle this." Like this is fun, as Jerickson Profar said to me. So I'm with you, and I also feel like Kyle Schwarber is one of those guys. When he gets rolling, then it, it's I mean he is a street, and I mean this in a positive way can go on an absolute tear. Where he's carrying his team. The Red Sox experienced that last year. The Phillies experienced it this year, uh, after Bryce Harper went on the injured list. And so I'm curious to see if he takes off from here. Before you go, I want you to chime in. This fun conversation we've been having this week. Uh, you know, you and I have had it before, but we get new information, it feels like every day. Uh give me 90 seconds, uh, game of musical chairs with the free agent shortstops. You can run through them. Carlos Correa, Trey Turner. Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts. Where are you guessing they're going to go based on the ladies you've heard?
3: All right, I think Dansby Swanson ends up in Los Angeles. I think Turner ends up in Atlanta. I think Bogart stays in Boston. And Correa? I know. I'm trying to think of where Carlos Correa. is. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he ends up back in Minnesota. I do think this year bolsters. Uh, yeah, I think Phil, I do think Philadelphia is I think Philadelphia is going to get one of them and maybe I, you know, I put the chairs on the deck before I thought about it, but uh, yeah, Correa in Philadelphia makes great sense. I think he's I think he likes that. I think he loves that crowd. I think he'll love the atmosphere. So I'll go I'll go there. Those those are where I see them.
0: Our good friend Eduardo Perez said yesterday Correa is going to want land win Baltimore. And there are tentacles there. Of course, Mike Elias, head of baseball ops for the Orioles, used to be with the Astros when they drafted Correa. He knows him well. They certainly have the payroll flexibility to go forward doing that. I just don't see the Orioles spending as much on one player as they have on the rest of the team. I just I don't see I, that, I that them being a team that's going to spend that much money, uh, invest that much money in one guy. What about you?
3: I, I, no, I agree with you. And I think when you talk about the Orioles investing in somebody like that, I then think you're either going to dismiss the Phillies or the Braves or the Red Sox or the Dodgers who all have, you know, the money to do it. If you're going to go with the tentacles concept, look, Xander Bogarts could easily end up in Philadelphia given Dave Dombrowski and how much I know they love Bogarts. And yeah. Cora and Correa have a relationship, Alex. Correa could end up in Boston. I, I, think, I think the Red Sox are going to be the most interesting team in of the offseason because I'm, I'm not – I'm not convinced that they're not going to throw a whole bunch of money at people, but I'm also not convinced they're going to throw any money at anybody. I don't know. They've been so odd in their, in their behaviors. I don't know which direction they go. I think they could be pushed to spend a lot of money. I also think they could just clam up and and not spend much at all and go with, we're going to go with kind of the Tampa Bay Ray thing. And I don't think that works up there. So I, I think they're the most interesting group here. But, sure, I I could see Bogarts back there. I could absolutely see Bogarts in Philadelphia and somebody like Correa, you know, on another two-year deal in Boston just to kind of get a feel for what the Red Sox are doing.
0: It's going to be fascinating. And, and uh, you know, each of these bidding will uh, affect the others, so it'll be fun to watch. All right, Robbie, Uh enjoy the games today. Thank you. See you, Buster. Thank you. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Bleacher Tweets.
1: Alrighty, Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. And Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season. Without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. And Bleacher Tweets should also be brought to you by Taylor Swift today because uh, one At Sarah Kate underscore sports wrote in to the Bleacher tweets, what player is most likely to jam out to Taylor Swift's new album for warmups? And Sarah, you wrote your own question in and then you went in a different direction. So please explain to the listeners what you have going on.
2: (laughs) Oh, well, first of all, what a great question. Sarah Kate underscore sports, who is definitely not me. Wow. Great. (laughs) Just great intellectual thinking there. Um, I believe, first of all, the player who is most likely to jam out to Taylor Swift during warmups is Aaron Judge. Why? Because he's tremendous. And I think there's a correlation, obviously, obviously. So, yes, I did assign him a song also on Taylor Swift's album. It's called Lavender Haze. And it's all about like a renewed love and hope for good things and good people. And that just screams Aaron Judge. I also assigned one. um, (laughs) The song is called question dot 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 question mark. Um, and I think that that should be dedicated to Freddie Freeman, specifically directed to his agent, because I think he has a lot of questions and that was what made me think of that.
0: <laughs> I just want for the record, I had nothing to do with that because I'm sure there's somebody me, in Excel is going to be like, what's this
2: plan? That's too me, cut it out. Taylor. <laughs> and then... Um, the other one was Sweet Nothing. That was one my roommate came up with. We dedicated that to the Dodgers because, you know, they have all these amazing players. They always have a great record, and they've only had one World Series win in 10 years. And then our last one <laughs> is You're On Your Own Kid, which I thought would be great for Shohei Otani because I feel wow. like he's on his
0: Oh, no. <laughs> See, is
2: that too mean? Is that too
0: mean? No, no. I, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I thought you were just completely delirious and exhausted and crazy, but you're bringing editorial content here, right? Well, great I show. am
2: nothing. It's not producing a content show.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I give it a ten out of ten. What do you think, Taylor? Yeah, these are these are really well
1: thought out. Great, great job, Sarah. Everyone whatever Ever the producer.
2: Some Very some nice. some were better than others, but you know, I'm pretty confident in my list.
1: <laughs> Maybe share the list on Twitter, hashtag bleacher tweets.
2: I'm scared too. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: okay, okay. <laughs> All right, couple couple baseball questions here. Senior B at Senior Bentley writes and I feel like having the roof open offers a disadvantage to the Astros during the postseason. Am I wrong?
0: No, I, I don't know. Uh, Look, I I think – I mean, their pitching is great. The players actually prefer that the roof be closed. They didn't like the fact that the roof was open yesterday. But you know what? It saved them a run with the Aaron Judge home run. It might have cost them a run with the painting ball. And, you know, Alex Bregman laughed about that. Yes, his ball was probably helped. His three-run homer was helped by the home run. So who knows? Here's the bottom line. The Astros are a better team right now. No doubt about it.
1: Definitely. Steve Powell at Steve Powell writes in, do you suppose the Astros roof was opened by the league to keep the noise down and make it easier for the Yankees to win? (laughs) Maybe it backfired, though.
0: (laughs) Wait, is this your stepbrother you haven't told me about, Taylor? Steve Powell, (laughs) like the conspiracy theories of yours rubbing off on him? Definitely. It's
1: maybe definitely not a burner account. I can say that confidently. So keep the keep the we'll have to workshop that one, but we'll keep those conspiracy theories coming. Let's go to uh, Amy Chapman. She writes in the Dombrowski Philly tenure so far seems successful in Detroit and Boston. There were concerns about how he achieved success depleting the farm system and big contracts. Do you see any of that or is it too early to tell?
0: Yeah, Amy, we talked about, you know, this year when they had holes, they went out and they actually dressed the holes. Uh, They have expended a lot of resources like when they spent that money on both both Castellanos and Schwarber. I can tell you their eyebrows raised in other organizations like, really? With Bryce Harper on the team, you're essentially going to, you know, three guys who might be defensively challenged in three years. And then as it turned out, because Bryce had the elbow issue, they, you know, now have uh, questions in both corners while Bryce is the DH. But you know what? Right now it's working as it did for the Red Sox in 2018 when they won the World Series.
1: Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit writes in, well, we see Altuve bat lead off in game three. He had a good swing in his last at bat. Any chance they move him down to take a little pressure off him?
0: I would be shocked. Everything I've ever heard about Altuve with other uh, from, you know, AJ Hinch and others, guys who played with him, he can turn it around with one swing. Like he just needs to get a hit and then feel better about himself and then he'll be good to go.
1: I feel like there could be a little bit of the the Joe Musgrove effect with Altuve in New York. You know, the, the fans are going to get on him for sure, and maybe that fires him right. up.
0: Yeah, no, and we saw that, right? Remember when they were booing him and uh-huh. they are yeah. dropping them? Well, anyway, we don't want to get into what they were yelling at him, but yeah, <laughs> you're right. He responded well. Last one for today, Carlos
1: M at Respect the Game writes and hey, Buster, when Garrett Cole pitches game three, he probably can't go again until a potential game seven on three days rest, all assuming no rainouts. What do you do?
0: You start him on short rest. That's why you gave him $324 million. He's been paid, assuming that he doesn't have an injury. I'm sure that he'd be the first guy to walk into Aaron Boone's office and say, I want the ball. It'll be a big game for him if they get that far. But I I Taylor, I you know, Sarah, you guys chime in. Or do you think that series is going to uh to seven games? Nah, five, maybe. It's, it's rough.
2: Absolutely not. I think five. Yeah.
0: OK, well, yeah, one of those songs that uh, you just cited will probably apply to the Yankees if, in fact, they're eliminated before they leave New York.
2: I do have one for them. It's called Midnight Rain due to the <laughs> rain
0: out. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, and great. And you're playing to your audience with Taylor, too. I, I with. <laughs> All right. That's it for yeah. Bleacher
1: Tweets. Bring them in over the weekend while games are going on. Shout out to my brother and my sister-in-law, Alex and Stephanie, for getting married.
0: Very excited for them. Yeah, congratulations to them That's it for this week, that's it for today My thanks to Sarah, Ravi, Sarah and Taylor Have a great day everybody, thanks for listening Stay safe and remember, hate and inequality Based on skin color is something we need to fight against Every single day
3: Two guys drove to work Neither guy wore a seatbelt One guy got a ticket One guy didn't The same two guys drove home One guy wore a seatbelt One guy didn't